Uh, today we come into our seventh commandment in our series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, so we're coming toward the end. Um, today's is pretty straightforward. So it comes from Exodus 20:14, and then I'll read from the Sermon on the Mount as well. So here's the commandment. Do not commit adultery. And here is Christ kind of expansion or interpretation of the commandment found in the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Please don't take this literally. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would take these old words and help us to hear a new word today, so many years later. May our hearts and our minds uh, be open to what you have for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I received an email from um, a member of our church who said that she and some of her friends were talking after uh, one of my sermons and said, how is Steve going to preach on the sixth commandment, uh, do not kill? To them, it seemed pretty straightforward. (laughs) which it is, and it seemed pretty cut and dry. And I'm guessing they also probably thought, you know, not a real struggle for most of us sitting here in the sanctuary. So how do you make it relevant? Well, yeah, I said, I wrote back, that's a tough one. That's why I took my senior pastor uh, prerogative and assigned it to Don. (laughs) And he did a great job, didn't he, last week? with that commandment. I, you can clap. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, but, but we saw that uh, it was not as clear-cut as it may seem, and that really, after Don was done, we all probably thought, I have killed others in my heart. And that's what Jesus does in his commentary in on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he, he expands uh, the commandment, and then he also very much stresses that this is not just outward action, but it is something of the heart. And so when we start looking at the heart, we see, wow, we, we all have probably broken all these commandments. Uh, and we also realize I was telling my small group, uh, life group this week, the Sermon on the Mount kind of drives us to grace and to despair because by the end, Jesus really makes it clear we can't keep any of these Ten Commandments without the power of God in our lives and without the power of forgiveness. And so that's the good news, that God is with us to empower us to live this new, free, abundant life that he wants us to live. And so today, as we tackle the seventh commandment, also very um, short, we will see the same dynamic at play. 
At first glance, it seems pretty straightforward. And probably none of us here would argue with this commandment, would we? That you don't want to break this one. Remember in the very beginning of this series, I said, hey, we, we don't break the commandments. We break ourselves against the commandments. And really, these are given to us by God to protect us, to help us to live. Remember, this is a freedom document given to slaves who were just freed from Egypt. And it really is a document that's saying, you know, you're free. Now, here are some guidelines for you to live as free people. I mean, we've seen over the years as countries have been freed from dictators that it is hard for people after many years of living under an authoritarian rule, it's, it's hard to know how to be free people. You have to learn it. It took the Israelites 40 years wandering in the desert to learn how to be free people. And this is what the Ten Commandments are all about. But we would not argue with the destructiveness, the pain uh, that can happen because of a person breaking or persons breaking this commandment. We would all say this is one of the commandments. Absolutely, you do not want to break. And as we look more closely at this, we see that just like the sixth commandment, this one isn't as clear cut and dry as it may seem. I want to say uh, before we dive into that, that, you know, as I prepared this week and I thought about giving this sermon, I, I have prayed that um, I could do it with great sensitivity and also with just um, empathy and love, because I know that there are some in this congregation, absolutely sure of it, that have suffered the pain, and it is a deep pain, of being betrayed in their marriage. The pain that comes when this commandment is broken. And I know some of you are feeling that, and even to talk about that brings back maybe that pain. Or maybe you were the one that committed it and feel, have felt horrible and guilty about it for years. Or maybe you were a child. You were a child of a, in a family in which infidelity occurred, and you know that pain as well. And see, the, the, the violation of the seventh commandment has far-reaching ramifications. I mean, for the couple, for the children, for extended family, for friends, even into the next generation, honestly. And I think that is why Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount are, are just so strong. I mean, let me say this, that Christ is using a rhetorical device here, what we call hyperbole, to really stress. I think, wow, this is, this is one that will really cause a lot of pain. Maybe because, you know, sexuality is such a big part of who we are as human beings that when that is broken, it goes deep. And the, and the, the, the love that we share in a marriage, the commitments that we make in a marriage ceremony, when they're broken, wow. Very painful. So Christ is using this hyperbole to stress, wow, this is, this is something to be aware of. Very strong, Christ gets with his language. Um, 
And can I say today that there may be somebody here today who may be right on the verge of having an affair. And you're looking uh, over the fence and you're seeing that green grass on the other side. You may be thinking that this new relationship will be so much better, that, that this person is the one that you should have married. They are your soulmate. And can I just say you're being deceived. Uh, I love that book from a number of years ago called The Myth of the Greener Grass. Which basically said, you know, you're taking all your stuff from this relationship into the next. And here's a statistic that may surprise you, 92% of marriages that begin in an affair end up in divorce. So what does that tell you? So be careful if you're looking over that fence because you're in dangerous territory. I don't want to dwell on the do not in this uh, commandment because, you know, the, the purpose of this commandment is, is not to just grit our teeth and avoid ourselves um, being entangled in an adulterous relationship. You know, really behind every one of these do nots is a grand positive. Just like uh, Don said last week, the grand positive of do not kill is pro-life. Be for life. And the negative side of the law um, is to avoid adultery and even flirtatious or lustful fantasies. But the positive message is what I want to focus on. The positive message is to build caring, respectful, loving relationships. And the real intent behind this commandment is to tell us that, wow, this marriage relationship is a very important relationship, unlike any other. And so pay attention to it. Here's a truth that, uh, about marriage that I often tell couples in premarital counseling. And please hear this. Marriage is a unique and very special relationship. The scriptures describe it as two becoming one. You know, no other relationship is described like that in scripture. No other relationship describes uh, this most intimate, most vulnerable, most trusting relationship that we humans can have. You know, when we commit ourselves to marrying someone, we are trusting them with our lives. Do you know that? We're giving our whole self to them and trusting it with them. And so when that is broken, wow, that's, that's why there's so much pain. But here's the truth about marriage. When our marriage is going well, when it is life-giving, and we are experiencing deep love and respect and trust when we are growing in this oneness that Jesus talks about, you know, everything else in life can be going bad. Your career, <laughs> your children maybe <laughs> giving you heartache, your health may be bad. You know, all those things can be bad. But if you have that life-giving relationship and you know that you're mate loves you and respects you and trusts you, you know what? Life can be okay. 
But here's the other side of it. When your marriage is going bad, it's struggling, and we are growing apart in our marriage. And when the respect and trust and love breaks down, you know what? The opposite is true. Everything in life can be going great. Your career can be skyrocketing. Financially, you may be doing great. Your health, you're running marathons. I don't know. It's just, everything's going well. Your kids are all above average. <laughs> but man, if your marriage isn't going well, uh, life is a struggle. And so, the secret is to build a great marriage and keep our lawns so green that all the grass on the other side of the fence looks brown by comparison. Now, many books have been written on this topic, and I'm not going to try to say the whole thing, and there are greater minds than me, but I want to say, I just want to give you one one guideline about marriage that I think really helps it. And it's very simple. Pay attention to your marriage. Pay attention. Give your heart to your spouse. Make him or her your priority. Give them attention. You know, once we become married, next to our relationship with God, our relationship with our mate is the most important commitment in our lives. So pay attention to it. Make it a top priority. You see, adultery is most often a sin of boredom and not passion. In other words, it doesn't happen too often that one gets involved with another person. It does. But it's rare when all the needs are being met in the marriage relationship. And people wander when they don't get attention, when they're not being loved. Um, let, me, let me broaden the definition of, of adultery here, because I think it's really important. You know, when I was in seminary, I took a class on the concept of love, one of the best classes I, I had. I had a whole semester to learn how to love. You'd think I'd be better at it, but... But here's what my professor wrote in his book on on love. And I think it's just so good. He says, I am not trying to suggest that any significant relation with another person constitutes infidelity. But we do need to broaden our understanding of it. The marriage relation may be violated in other ways by a severe imbalance between work and family, for example, or between hobbies and family or by a failure to participate sufficiently in the common life of marriage and family. Neglect, lack of interest, lack of respect, lack of sympathy and support. In short, whatever contributes to the alienation of a couple from each other weakens and adulterates a marriage. I would add addiction to that list as well. Extramarital sex often has as its root the increasing alienation in a marriage. An actual sexual involvement with another by our partner can give us the occasion for self-righteousness. Look what they did. 
and hence an excuse to ignore the way we may have occasioned this form of infidelity on our own. Oftentimes, but not always, adultery is a result of a marriage that has gone stale. And often it becomes stale because people quit paying attention. You know, I've quoted this book before, but it is really a book that has really uh, influenced my life. Road Less Traveled, old book, but has gone through, I think, about 25 printings, so it's a great book. Written by M. Scott Peck, who was a psychotherapist, many, many years of counseling couples. And his section on love in this book is one of the best sections on love that I've ever read. And I've read many things about love. So this is good. First, he talks about the myth of romantic love. And he says, romantic love, this myth, that love is a feeling, those strong feelings that we have when we first begin dating someone. He said this myth has caused misery for millions of people. Romantic love is the love that we read about in magazines. It's what we see in movies. It's this rush of feelings (laughs) that we get when we are in the early stages of relationships. And Peck says, man, these are great. Oh, it's great. It's fun. But it's not the type of love that is the foundation of a marriage. Some of his clients that he had went from relationship to relationship to relationship because they were almost addicted to this rush of romantic love. To have a good marriage, we have to talk about a different kind of love. And this is where Peck is brilliant. He says this, he says, love is not just a feeling, love is work. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Love is work. Love is action. Love is a verb. It's something that we do. Now here is the second thing he says that I think is is so good and really the focus today. The primary work of love is attention. We love someone when we give them attention. Remember, if you've had this experience when you first fell in love? Woo! I can remember that. I don't think I slept for like two weeks. (laughs) Romantic love, right? You brought flowers on a regular basis, you called in the middle of the day just to hear their voice. You sent cards to each other, you planned romantic dates, you rearranged your schedule just so you could see, spend every minute together. Some of us even began to write poetry, which didn't go so well. (laughs) When the other person said something, you listened. You actually hung on every word. But as we're married for a while, how easy it is to begin other things, allow other things to creep in and steal our attention from mates. And these are good things. Careers, children, hobbies, aging parents, activities, all these things. However good they may be, can sneak in there 
and take priority over our marriages. This is what I think Jesus is saying when he says, you know what God has brought together? Let no one separate. I think let no one, let no thing separate. This is important. Man, marriages don't end up because of malicious intent. I've never had someone in premarital counseling out of the 200 plus weddings I've done say, you know, I'm going into this marriage and I just want to ruin it. I want to have a horrible marriage. No, we all enter into marriage, marriage thinking this is going to be the greatest relationship I've ever had. And so why do so many marriages just seem dull and boring after four or five years? Well, oftentimes we just drift away apart because of not paying attention. Probably the best way to give your mate attention, says Peck, is to listen. He says, true listening is love in action and no more Nowhere is it more appropriate than in marriage. Yet, he says, most couples never truly listen to each other. So one of the first things he does when a couple comes in to talk to him is he just has them sit down and talk to each other. (laughs) How's that for 150 bucks an hour? (laughs) He says, you know, it's awkward. Sometimes it's really painful. But after a number of appointments, you know, they start discovering new things about each other. And they start getting close again. Second thing I would say about attention is just encouragement. You know, John Gottman, who is kind of the marriage guru, a professor at University of Washington, has studied scientifically, the first scientific study on marriage and what makes marriages last. And he says, The number one thing is couples who have great marriages see each other through rose-colored glasses and they just affirm each other and look for the best in each other. And so what he does is when a couple comes in for problems, they just sit down. He has them sit down and he says, write down what you appreciate about each other. And this is what I do in premarital counseling. Tell me 10 things that you appreciate about each other. And I'm not here, talk to each other. Look each other in the eye and say, oh, I love this about you. I appreciate this about you. When you do this, man, my respect just goes through the roof. It's amazing to watch these couples tell each other what they appreciate about each other. Sometimes they've never done it. And to see the smiles on their faces. Let me close with this. You know, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, my wife and I went to a bed and breakfast in Mendocino for the weekend. Get away from our kids, <laughs> which is a good thing about marriage to do. And this bed and breakfast had the most beautiful garden. I mean, something about the coast, you know, that moderate climate and all the sunshine and the, the fog and all the rest. It, it, it was just beautiful. And I'm kind of an amateur gardener, and I thought, how does this person do it? And the gardener was there. And he was just meticulously trimming and cutting and pruning. And I went up to him, and he was squat, you know, kneeling down. I said, what is your secret? You know, what's the secret to this beautiful, thriving 
abundant, healthy garden. And he didn't even look at me. He just said, attention. <laughs> and marriage is like a garden. You know, when you, when you, you have a garden, what do you have to do? You've got to water it. You've got to weed it. You've got to fertilize it. You've got to protect it against pests that can come in and destroy it. You've got to make, it have, make sure it's in a good place. I mean, on and on and on. The same with a marriage. You've got to play. You've got to have a generous sex life. You've got to talk to each other. You've got to pay attention. You've got to go out on dates. You got to make your marriage a priority, play together, do those things, do new experiences together. It all comes down to paying attention. Pay attention to your marriage, grow in oneness, grow really green grass, and in so doing, you will fulfill the seventh commandment. Amen. God, we pray that. Uh, I pray for our congregation that we would, for those of us who are married, that we would um, pay attention to our marriages and experience the intimate, loving, uh, life-giving relationship that you intend for marriage. Lord, we thank you that you are for our marriages, that you give us power beyond ourselves to love and to care and to pay attention. So may it be so. In Christ's name, amen.